KRCL 90.9 FM, HD1, Salt Lake City, Ogden, Provo, 96.7 FM in Park City, and on the web at krcl.org. Support for Radioactive on KRCL comes from our sustaining members and Mark Miller Subaru. This is Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. I'm Rashawn Leak, and on the show tonight, youth activists are marching in from Washington, D.C. to talk about 300 solidarity marches around the country on Saturday. We'll have three organizers for the SLC march in the studio later this hour to find out if the kids are all right. But first, we have rallies and resources with Radioactive Zone, Laura Jones. What's up, Laura? There we go. Oh, there we go. We Hi. got you now. Yeah, um, rallies and resources you can find online at krcl.org. Click on that community affairs tab, and there's lots of things to choose from. We have special guests, so I just want to go straight to the special guests. Oh, okay. All right, shall we? Yeah, we shall. So coming up on June 19th, Juneteenth itself, noon to 6, there is a street party, Summer of Color Juneteenth Festival. And it commemorates, of course, the 1865 emancipation of enslaved African Americans. More details at, June, uh, at JuneteenthUtahSFJ.org. SFJ, Solidarity for Justice, and we have from SFJ, Natasha Cadet. How are you, Natasha? I'm well. I'm well. How are you? Streaming as well. Oh, I know. So I love check that. it out. Love, we don't get a chance to have people streaming yeah. in the Meta. studio too often. So I'm digging on that. Shout out to uh, SFJ folks out there listening. You reached out a while ago and asked if we'd help you get the word out. So we became a media sponsor for your event. Tell us though a bit about Solidarity for Justice. Solidarity for Justice is a grassroots, um, non, not for profit, almost non, not profit, but we're all about community organization, community engagement, mm-hmm. um, community led everything. Um, so we try to advocate for those who are underrepresented or their voices are um, not being heard. So. We go from place to place where we're needed and um, just helping engage the community, bring resources, um, advocate and just and push this narrative of community first, people first. This is not your first time round with Juneteenth, I understand. No, this, this is not is her first rodeo, is that what we're hearing? <laughs> I, I, changed, All right. I changed that last time, <laughs> I didn't sound right. I had to jump on it, I like that, Tara. <laughs> So, so I, yeah, so how long have you been doing this? What, what, what kind of was the precipice that get it kicked off? Juneteenth specifically? Right, yeah. Um, it was, well, when I came to Utah five years ago, I'm the type of person, I'm looking around, where's my community? Where are my people? Um, and for the first two years, I didn't find that. And I, I felt like, okay, well, I'm the type of person, if I don't see it, create it. Um, so I just kind of started like, all right, I'm going to do a Juneteenth. I sourced some community members, and we just just started rolling and, and, and the community involvement came in and, and at the attraction came in and community kept saying do another one and do another one and now it's it's a thing like I realize there are a lot of people who've been feeling like they haven't had a place um, in uh, some other maybe, maybe the other June scene celebration mm-hmm. so this is that space for those who maybe don't aren't, don't fit in in the many and other beautiful June scene celebrations that are out there not one Juneteenth festival to rule them all. No, there's got to like be, other, you mean, know, you especially know. it's a state holiday for the first time. For sure. Yes, federally recognized holiday. And just like there's many different Fourth of Julys, there should be exactly. a Juneteenth in every block, in every city. Because um, this is, I, in my opinion, um, Juneteenth is the first, really, um, freedom 
of in America, you know, no one's free until we're all free. And, and 4th of July w- wasn't that because we weren't free at that time. Mm-hmm. So Juneteenth is a celebration for all people, not just um, African-American people or black people. Rashawn, do you think that our listeners realize that you're black? Uh, I, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to have this conversation with you and Natasha as the the white person here that doesn't know a lot about Juneteenth. I'm trying to remember history being taught to me, and I remember something a bit about emancipation and how it came last mm-hmm. in 1865. But what does it mean today, Natasha, now that that win for a state and federal holiday has happened? What now? Well, I want to clarify. It's really important to note that the Emancipation Proclamation was really in 1863, mm-hmm. and it was something that was not publicized. It mm-hmm. was they weren't telling people like you're free. It was very much um, don't report on it. No, don't no. let yeah. people yeah, know. Yeah, keep that in the closet. And also keep in mind that at the time, um, it was uh, there were um, the Africans were only emancipated in the states that were in the Union. So on all the bordering states, they were still um, not free there. So, Emancipation Proclamation, uh, 1863, two years later, is when um, they found out, primarily in Texas, was like, oh wait, we're free? Um, and then tied directly to their freedom, it's important to note that it was joining, enlisting in the army and fighting in their war, right? Um, and through that, through that uh, participation in, in the army, you then became free, and a lot of people, um, you know, a lot of black, African-American people fought in that civil war and fought mm. for not just our freedom, but for yeah, but the yeah. nation's freedom. So we're recognizing that as well, that it's it's not a black, quote-unquote, issue. It's American um, com- commemoration. It's American ho- holiday. Um, so today, what that really means, it's long overdue, it being a federally recognized holiday. Really, for me, that just, it's long overdue. I, I don't see that as a huge win. But what it, what is what are you going to do after the fact? Um, yeah. So with that, I think there should be more awareness. And okay, you know, are we free now? That's a whole other question. Um, but I think it's just it 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 means finally that hey, like we're being heard. And and I hate to say it like that because we're still not being heard in so no, many other I was places. Just, I did, you know, you and know? I'm not here to call my, out my guests, but I was like, are we being heard, though, Natasha? It's it's a low hanging fruit, yeah, but it story. is something, right? Because at the for us, we know this is overdue. But for some yeah. people out there, they don't—they've never heard of Juneteenth. Yeah. Even some Black people that I talk to, they don't know what Juneteenth is. So it is important that mm-hmm. this is um, this is happening, and, and Juneteenth is more of a common name or yeah. word. I, um, I love—I yeah. I love that you called that out because I'll, I'll put myself on blast easily. Like when you know, I—I I learned about Juneteenth by being a Utah citizen. I'm. Everybody who listens to the show knows, and my wife's probably laughing like, "Oh boy, he's about to say he's from Jersey again." But yeah, but like on the East Coast, we didn't, you know, Juneteenth wasn't a real thing. It it wasn't celebrated, and so I learned about it here. But yeah, it's not something that's widely recognized. So I, I, I think you called it out, and I, I want to call out one thing that you you touched on earlier too is, you know, when we talk about freedom, like you know, the hypocrisy that goes around it sometimes is, it's like Frederick Douglass being invited to speak on July Fourth while slavery is still happening you know it's like how how where where are we really going and so you're right like while this is one good first kind of step there's still a lot to be had and you know i'm not gonna bring up reparations laura but you know (laughs) you know you know there's another conversation because well does juneteenth allow us then uh, an avenue to have those conversations because like you said earlier you'd like to see one in every neighborhood and i think that's a, a a great goal to work toward 
in in terms of you know how we celebrate the Fourth of July, there's pancake mm-hmm. breakfasts on every corner. It seems like, so why not? And I just want to note that I feel like Juneteenth should be a mark on America in American history as um, a low point, mm-hmm. and, or even. I, I, it's yeah. it's important when when I so I um I was raised in Cameroon and I came okay, to the states right. and I had to learn about what it was like to be a black in America and um there was for me there was some kind of um dissonance because I didn't feel like I was mm-hmm. black and so there was a whole learning that was um that happened so it was really weird to to be to know who I am and then come to a space and then be retaught who you are in this space. And for so long, I was fighting against, like, no, this is not me. But gaining the understanding of what it means to be black in America, mm-hmm. um, I have such an appreciation for the resilience of black Americans. Um, and I think it's all, it's about respect. It's about, like, people say a lot, we built this country, we built that White House. You know, your your an- national anthem, we wrote that. Everything about um, American culture is so in- t- uh, ingrained in the hands of black people and African people. So I think fundamentals of U.S. history has to start with Juneteenth. Has to, you know, it's yeah. it talks a lot about. For me, when I was learning U.S. history, we black people were the only note that we had was we were slaves, and we are so much more than mm-hmm. that in the in American history. Um, so I just think it's really important that like that's finally something that's being taught, and that's something that should be taught because you have to know the wrongs that were done to be able to um, recognize those same things present day if you don't know yeah if, yeah if you don't know your history you're doomed to repeat it yeah same time juneteenth celebrations are exactly that so what's happening on june 19th and the summer of color juneteenth festival presented by solidarity for justice yeah so solidarity for justice wants to make sure we are um creating an exclusive uh, inclusive and safe space that gets thrown around a lot what does that mean it's mm-hmm. We want everyone to feel seen, represented, to feel safe, to just know that um, there's no judgment here. Come as you are. Um, we're focusing on amplifying black and brown voices. And I extended to black and brown um, to brown people. I hate to say brown people, but to the brown community because um, blackness and brownness are so intertwined. It's such hard to dis- separate that, and we really shouldn't separate because there's so much power in community. So, Summer of Color is bringing out um, all people of color from all walks of life, but also recognizing it and getting giving a note to our LGBT community as well. Since this, we are in June, and there's no, um, there's really no LGBT movement today without mm-hmm. um, um, Black voices and Black people in that mm-hmm. movement. So yeah. it's a blending in of um, intersectionality in all ways. Um, so we're starting at uh, 12 p.m. We'll be off 100 South and 600 West. Um, you'll 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 be met with a market full of Black and Brown vendors um, and resources in the community. Um, you will have music throughout the event. There's kids attractions. We want to make sure the kids are feeling um, safe and and having fun. That was my biggest mm-hmm. um, uh, thing last year was making sure the kids 
are having fun and seeing the, the joy in these kids faces i'm like oh my gosh this this alone is, is the reason we do it um and then we'll move throughout the day starting at three we'll start uh, musical components we'll have black and brown um, artists singers comedians dancers all different types of things and it's just about having fun loving on each other like i want to make sure love is you could feel the love just yeah. throughout the whole event um and then we'll end the night with an after party at Suntrap. There you all go. Right, That's right. a great. Uh, I'm like, oh. That's a great lineup. Yeah. Right? I'm like, Joe, are you listening? I think we just got plans <laughs> for Sunday. Uh, well, I was going to ask you, Juneteenth, what, how does that figure in your, your family with your kids? I mean, we, we teach about it because, you know, you know, with our kids being mixed, I want them to learn about all their history, you know, like mm-hmm. not just, you know, not just, you know, being, being uh, in Utah with a predominantly white space, but I want them to know that, you know, they, they are half black, you know, mm-hmm. and, it, and it's funny because, you know, Joe, Joe has a funny story that, you know, when we were, I want to say we were talking about Martin Luther King and, you know, just going over some of the travesties that have been done to black people over the years. And, you know, the boys, as innocent they are, they're like, man, black people just just have it so rough, mom. And, you know, and she's like, well, you know, you're black, right? And so it's just, you know, and that just shows the, you know, out of the mouth of babes. But but we want to make sure that they they recognize. And I, and I love, I really love that what you're doing, Natasha, because I think, in, in, a, in a state like this that is, you know, dominant, you know, I don't, I don't want to spit out numbers, but we know it's a large percentage. And, and when you go to most 93% farm, was 90, the number 90, I Thank you, last Laura. Thank you. White. So 93%. And, you know, you go to farmer's markets. Anywhere you go on any street, you're mm-hmm. going to see predominantly white people. So to create a space that, you know, that you see black vendors, that you see black black performers, that you see just a lot of black black excellence in one space, I think it's really good for all of our community yeah. to get a taste of just it because – because like you called out, Natasha, while while we should be celebrating Juneteenth because it is freedom for all of us, we should also be paying attention that it took two years to get that freedom. And that's yeah. and that was purpose. Well, you said that low point. Yeah, that was not by accident. That was done specifically because, you know, you didn't want to lose slaves. You didn't want to lose that free labor, mm, free labor that you treated as less than. So, again, the summer of color juneteenth festival sunday june 19th noon to 6 102 south 6 west out front of the the sun trap and that's where the after party is at I the end of the, the night um open to the public though everyone can come um bring some dollars for the food trucks mm-hmm. and the and vendors and especially want to highlight our fathers it's father's day so we'll have a lot of attractions for our dads and for me it's super important i want to really um Everything that I do has a message in there. So there's multiple messages in where we ha- in, in this event. So the location, um, that location is on the west side. It's mm-hmm. predominantly black and brown people. Yep. And we want to bring Juneteenth to the west side. Um, one, because I do believe in, in bringing money into your own community, generating that wealth there. So we want to bring outside people to this area and and... It's just down the street here from oh, KRCL. Yeah, right yeah, down the street. But Tasha said, I'm in the neighborhood too. Yeah. Um, so I just want to change the idea that, you know, there's there's no wealth or mm-hmm. happening here. There is so much wealth here. A lot of the wealth are in the black and black communities, just how we, you know, how we use it. But also, um, the fa- so Father's Day, we want to, we, we, were, we were going back and forth. Did we change the date? It's like, no, because I want to also attack that idea that, the fathers are distanced from, mm. from our home mm. too Preach. so i'm like no they're not they're here you know so i really want them to come and i and i've seen the presence here so i just want to um also 
show that and show like there are so many active and engaged fathers and and let's bring them out let's love on them because i really want to make sure um our black men are feeling loved are feeling appreciated not just black men but our men yeah. in general are uplifted in this event and same with the kids we want to make sure those kids are are seeing um spaces just that they normally wouldn't and are interacting with people they normally wouldn't um and again this it's everybody a lot of people ask me, well, I'm white. Can I come? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, what? Absolutely. That's the absolutely. one thing I'm kind of worried about is that folks will think Juneteenth is just for a part of the community. It's for the whole Yeah, the, the community. community. Again, yeah, it's, a not, it's a American holiday. That's right. It's American commemoration. Natasha, what's the website where folks can learn more and plan their uh, Summer of Color Juneteenth Festival on June 19th? JuneteenthUtahSFJ.org. Fantastic. We'll put it in tonight's show notes. Natasha, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, you can stick around if you want. I also know if you got things to do, you can take off. We have another guest with us for Rallies and Resources. We've got Eric Peterson from the Utah Investigative Journalism Project, which has just published its first Utah Reporters Almanac. Hey, Eric, how you doing? Pull that mic up. I think I didn't give you enough leash on that, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, you got it. Can you unwrap that for us, Rashawn? Is it far away? Am I it's, here? It's a little far away. <laughs> But <laughs> I did that. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, great to be here. So what is this? First of all, full disclosure, I'm a member Utah Investigative Journalism Project. <laughs> yeah, you are. I'm a member of the Society for Professional Ju uh, Journalists, Utah Headliners Chapter, which Eric heads as well. And we'll talk about that in a bit. But this is something new. You've published your first Utah Reporters Almanac. What's this about and why is it necessary? You know, when I first started the nonprofit about like six years ago, like this was this was a project, an idea I had from the very start. I wanted to have like a real kind of like tangible, hold it in your hands kind of resource for, you know, journalists, but, you know, not just journalists, but like citizens, everybody that's interested, you know, in figuring out how to better understand, you know, what their public servants are doing, what their government agencies are doing. Um, and so it's a resource guide. There's a lot of information in there about, you know, filing records requests, you know, um, kind of understanding what's going on with the legislature that affects like transparency and open government. Um, and yeah, so this is the first almanac we've done. You know, it kind of took a while, but we've been doing a lot of trainings too. But um, very excited to finally have it out. And we've got a lot of good like, you know, interviews with people that have, you know, used like the the grandma law you know our our, our uh, open records law the it stands for the government records access and management act it's the it's the state level foia freedom yes, of information yes, the state level freedom of information exactly and you know um so we've like kind of like interviewed some people local people talking about like how they've used it to get like records to kind of you know, either inform their activism or their research. Um, so there's some really great stuff in there. You know, we're going to be talking about uh, gun violence in our mm -hmm. in our community, in our country later with March for Our Lives. And I was just mindful of the Uvalde shooting in particular uh, recently and how much government records requests have, have been already flying for that to get video, to get audio from the 911, mm -hmm. to get the reports from the police department because there have been so many different stories um, either from from both the perspective of a journalist covering breaking news, of course it's going to change, but when you have the people in authority telling you different things as time goes on, it becomes very difficult to trust what you're being told as a citizen, let alone a journalist, Rashawn. Yeah, so I have a question. So with this al almanac, is that, as a, as a regular citizen like me, you know, I don't have the, the legal chops 
You're gonna have that, to have that. Them. My boss Laura has, but as <laughs> but as somebody who's like just a, a regular a regular schmo, you know, is this is this designed to help me with accountability? Like when I'm going out and looking looking up the story, trying to get a better understanding, would this help me to create you know to keep our legislator, keep our police, keep you know just drive more accountability? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, some of the articles you know are talking about like we do like a good recap from the last legislative session, and we talk about the ways that the legislature pretty much unfortunately was restricting access to things like internal police investigation reports and kind of giving you an understanding of what they did. And if you were to try and like still try and get those records, how you would go about doing it. And there's also pretty like straightforward kind of like, you know, we've got a, a section in there that's like, if you've never filed a grandma before, this is the basics. Mm -hmm. This is how you do it. So you, you get, you know, a bit of a crash course. You can see what other people have done and how it's worked for them. So it, we hope it's a useful resource really for everybody. Well, and understanding open public meetings law, because we've seen so many of our public meetings get heated. What is it that you as a citizen are entitled to expect mm -hmm. going to a public meeting? Forget the whole noticing requirements, but um, if they cut off uh, public comment, are they doing it by the book? You know, standing up for your own rights as a, as a citizen. And I'm just, you know, what Natasha was saying about um, Juneteenth and the word not getting out. That has a, a lot to do with the state of media at the time, which we all know was a lot of yellow journalism was going on. It's a whole, that's more inside <laughs> baseball. I'll stop right there. But just, just, you know, when we look at the state of journalism, Eric, what, what are your hopes, fears? What's the good, bad, and the ugly? Because... Newsroom still getting decimated, having to flip to nonprofits. You're you're ahead of the curve there. Well, I mean, it's 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 obviously still a very challenging time, but I, you know, I I am encouraged by certain trends. You know, like exactly like some, you know, uh, organizations becoming nonprofits. You know, I think it's a very successful model, and um, you know, I think across the country you see a lot of like nonprofit investigative newsrooms or just community newsrooms. Um, they're you know. They're getting started. They're, you know, making a difference. Um, and, you know, it's it's helpful, I think, to have, um, you know, like uh, to brag about our nonprofit, you know, like I, I always wanted like our nonprofit, for example, to be something that wasn't like trying to come in and be a competitor with the local media. You know, our, our, our mission has all along been to just like strengthen the media ecosystem. Mm. In you fact, know. you will do the records requests and then release them into the wild, so to speak, for other outlets to take and run with. Well, yeah, we, we, I mean, we, we develop stories and we'll give them for free to our media partners. We do free trainings for, you know, media and, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, we've, we've done a lot of like trainings for student journalists, you know, smaller newsrooms, you know, they're, you know, that's the sad thing is that, you know, in, in times where it's been tough for the media, the, the first thing that really kind of gets cut back on is investigative journalism. It costs know. the most, but it has the most power mm -hmm. right. to yeah, affect the community. Yeah, but it's, you know, it's the, it's the riskiest. It's it, it can mm -hmm. be the most expensive. It can be very difficult. It can be stressful. And so it's useful for us to, like, kind of go in and, you know, and say, like, well, here's some things you can do, make things easier with your records requests, with your interviewing. Mm -hmm. Here's databases that are right at your fingertips you can, you know, utilize to get the information you're after. Legal's hugely important. I was just mindful of a the story that um, Kyle Rittenhouse is now going to uh -huh. go after CNN. 
Yeah, I heard that. Was it defamation? Mm-hmm. Suing Is for it? defamation. You saw the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, and that was about defamation. Um, after she wrote an op-ed, not even naming him. I mean, it was clear who she was oh, talking yeah, we, about. Yeah. But all of that. And then you've got this little thing in my hand called smartphone. Everyone seems to be getting their news off of hot takes. What Are, are you concerned about that oh, when it comes of to? Course. I, of course, I'm very concerned. <laughs> What's your hot take? My hot take. Oh, this goes. I could go off on a whole rant yeah. about that. <laughs> I, I'm really uh, anti-social media. Ooh, it's a big okay. problem. Um, it is a huge problem. I, I, yeah, I think it's one of the most divisive things. And and unfortunately, like it's it's so all the information is just so fractured and opinionated. Um, I really tried to make my whole organization be the opposite of that. I don't <laughs> I don't rush to break news. You know, like yeah. mm-hmm. I, I sit on stories for months. You know, and and try and go as deep as possible and get get the most information um and you know put something out there that is you know it's 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 not a you know it's not a uh, you know a, a slant one way or the other you know we're looking for the hard facts that cut across all you know you know whatever your position is whatever your ideology is you know we feel everyone should agree that there's problems with waste and hypocrisy and right. you know abuse and oppression you know of marginalized groups and peoples so that's what we're about. I, I oh yeah. All right. I, I love that. I, I, I really that 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 just hits me in, in the feels. But for our up and coming journalists, how do you suggest it, you know, being that being that line in the middle of the road and not letting your biases play into your stories? Because I I, I have to assume that has to be terribly hard when you're trying to cover a story but you have feelings and emotions tied to it. Yeah, well I mean I think one thing is to realize like right, nobody's you know, actually like a hundred percent impartial, mm-hmm. but that's the wrong way of looking at it too. Like being impartial and trying to understand every side is There's it... no two sides to sex trafficking. Well, no. That's sure. bad. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, There's okay. no two yeah. sides to nope. insurrection. Nope. That's bad. Well, yep. right, right. But the idea is that like when you are striving to understand all positions, it's it's a discipline. Mm-hmm. It's like a muscle. Yeah. You exercise mm-hmm. it, you get better. And you also realize that the end product is a lot more effective. Like people mm-hmm. respond yeah. when they know that something is fair, you know, yeah. and you give yeah. people every opportunity to explain themselves. And if, you know, they say no comment that's on that yeah. well there you are a nonprofit, the utah investigative journalism project where can folks catch up with you get involved and check out the utah reporters almanac uh our website utahinvestigative.org we'll put a link in the show notes and then got to do a shout out for the sbj you're mm-hmm. still the the president there right yes yes Coming up next Thursday, it's the whole annual awards banquet, yeah. and there's uh, some standout awards. What are the top lines there, Eric? Uh, yeah, well, we uh, yeah, it's our annual banquet. Uh, in you know, we're we're having some. You know, we've had some. Uh, not all of the winners have been announced, but some of the special honors winners have you know have have uh, been announced. Some some really great reporting from last year, such as. Uh, you know, like the, uh, I don't know if you guys saw the Shots Fired documentary, mm-hmm. they, they, they won. Trib um, and Frontline. Yeah. Working yeah, together really, on tracking officer really involved shooting. stuff. That's huge. And, uh, you know, my nonprofit might have picked up something oh. as well. <laughs> okay. Our, our okay. eviction reporting. I was going to say uh, the eviction reporting was yeah. recognized, tying, yeah. uh, the majority of evictions to one law firm and, uh, an elected representative. Yeah. Uh, mm. The people in that law firm, and I, just, I've been waiting to see something come from that. Yeah, and at policy level, we'll see over interim and 
and all of that. So that's uh, we'll report back. We applied. We'll see if we get something all for right. Radioactive. Right. But Eric, thanks so much for coming in. All the work you do, and folks, do check out the Utah Investigative Journalism Project, a nonprofit worth a bit of your time, a bit of your treasure as well. And that's Rallies and Resources, Rashawn. What do we got coming up after this great song we got? After after this, we uh, we're we're passing the mic over to March for Our Lives. You know, what's you know in the in the wake of another another shooting, I think it's time to you know kind of kind of pass the mic to some younger voices and hear what their thoughts mm-hmm. are because this is, you know, we we know what our politicians have to say and it's boring. It's over. You know, I, I'm now I'm, is not the time. Now, we need to grieve. Oh yeah, I, I, enough of this thoughts and prayers. I mean, if if I had a thought and prayer for every time, I'm you know I, I can go on there with some go. choice words, but that's coming up. That's coming up. But first, let's uh, go for with some Audrey Day featuring Common with Stand Up for Something on KRCL Radioactive. Gender Bands is a Utah-based nonprofit helping transgender people pay for transition-related costs. Applications for transition grants open November 1st. For details, visit genderbands.org. Support for KRCL comes from our listeners and the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support for KRCL comes from Mark Miller Subaru and their Love's Diversity Initiative. Mark Miller Subaru is a proud community partner of Project Rainbow. Spreading love together this Utah Pride Month. Learn more at projectrainbowutah.org or markmillersubaru.com. Welcome back to Radioactive and Roundtable Tuesdays. I'm Rashawn Leak. Coming up, Democracy Now! at 7, Vagabond Radio with Barbie at 8, Connor's Late Night Lowdown starts at 10.30, and Super Sounds with Chovy at 1 a.m. All of our programming and the Radioactive archives may be found online at krcl. Dot org, But now let's get our Roundtable Tuesday, Tuesdays discussion going with three of the organizers for the March for Our Lives Saturday in SLC. Join me now. I have Ellie Otis, Say Kemtikar, and Natalie Reese. What is going on, ladies? How are you? We're doing great. Thanks for having us on today. Of course. I'm excited. Oh, only one person is going to say hello. Oh, yeah, what I is mean, going we're on? Happy to be here too. We're so no. excited and really appreciative to have this platform. For I, sure. I love it. Well, we, you know, I mean, one of the things that we ha- we believe in here at KRCL is like pa- passing the mic. So I know you all have a, you, you have a, or, a march going on on Saturday. But I, what, I, what we always like to do with our guests is we like to do origin stories. So what I want to do is I'm going to ask all three your origin stories to activism. And I'm going to start with you, Ellie, because you got the, the badass uh, suit jacket on. <laughs> so you're looking the part. So, so why don't you tell me, so how did you get involved with you know, activism overall, but more specifically, March for Our Lives? For sure. So I, taking it back to probably my sophomore year of high school was when I first became really aware of shooting situations and stuff was when I really became aware of, oh, all of these you know, drills, you know, we have earthquake drills, we have fire drills, but these school shooter drills, these, you know, bomb threat drills, these are a real thing that could really happen. And my sophomore year of high school is when my brother joined, um, he became a freshman at the high school. And my absolute very first thought was, wow, I really hope that there's not a shooting because I don't know how I'm going to get to my brother and make sure that he's safe. And that was when it really dropped in for me of how real it was, of how 
um, because that year actually we had, um, and Say actually went to high school with me, so she can talk about that too. We actually had a uh, a lockdown that year of um, some people called in a threat for shooting, and it was awful that my brother was in a completely different area of the school, and I wasn't able to get to him. And you know, of course, thank God it wasn't. It ended up being false, but it was awful to even just be in that experience. And then junior year of high school was when the Parkland shooting happened. And I remember the awful feeling of, I found out about it and I looked it up and I, I felt this numbing feeling of, oh, another one. And I hated that feeling. I hated having that feeling. And I decided that that's when I wanted to do something. And that's when March for Our Lives was becoming organized. And I immediately um, looked into how I could get, how I could become a part of it. And we, um, me and this uh, fellow organizer this year, Savannah Persglove, we, along with a few other people at the school, started a chapter at our school, started organizing. And then this year with the recent Buffalo, Tulsa, and um, Uvalde shootings, uh, Savannah reached out to me and said, do you want to help be one of the main pro- uh, main organizers for March for Our Lives this year? And I said, yes, absolutely. Good on you. Good on you. All right, say so let's let's go to your origin story. So you got, you all went to high school together. So yeah, how did you get into the activism? Um, my story is fairly similar, seeing as we come from different backgrounds. But I often think of the context for my personal activism in terms of flashbulb memories, mm. which is something they teach us in school when an event happens and you seem to remember exactly where you were, when you were there, what was happening, how you felt and it's a very personal experience. I remember being about 10 years old when Sandy Hook happened, and that wasn't something I personally knew much about. I wasn't sure how, as a child, to contextualize that myself, but I remember how my mother reacted. Mm. My mother, who was an educator at the time, and seeing her pain, seeing how she and other adults in my life reacted to that, stuck with me, and then, I entered high school and the Parkland shooting happened. And that's when it became personal to me. That's when I saw people my own age experiencing something so horrific. So there aren't even words for it. That action is really all you can really do at this point besides just existing within that space that seems so belligerently harmful Now I'm 21 years old, and it's been almost 10 years since Sandy Hook. And in Uvalde, those were fourth graders. And that's about the age I was when Sandy Hook happened. And that has never felt so young to me as it did now. I'm so incredibly grateful for my fellow organizers that Savannah reached out, that we are taking initiative here in Utah to encourage the movement to continue fighting for this cause because these are things that matter these are people and lives that matter say it say it all right and let me bring it over to you natalie when how did you get in what's what's your activism origin story so i mean i think it's going to be quite similar to these um other ladies tonight but i didn't grow up in the united states i grew up in the netherlands and so i as a child i didn't grow up with this thought of a school shooting or of any mass violence. Um, When I moved to America and I was 10, that was really new to me and that was really surprising um, to hear about these things. I had never thought about guns or 
bomb threats growing up in in Amsterdam. Um, and so it was kind of a kickstart to me when I started realizing all these things were happening and that I would be going to high school in America, most likely. Um, and I moved to Utah when I was a uh, freshman in high school and went to high school and was monitoring all the shootings, was aware of it. But my senior year was when um, the Stoneman Douglas shooting happened. And before Utah, I went to a Jewish school in Florida and it was in the same school district as Stoneman Douglas. It was a few minutes away. And so I used to pass that school every day on my way to my my middle school. And so that was, I don't know if that was what really pushed me into it, but that gave me more of a, maybe a typical American perspective of, I'm so close to this, even though I didn't grow up with this, this is something so real that can affect me. Um, and so I reached out to the few people in 2018 when I was a senior in high school who were starting March for Our Lives in Utah. And um, I was able to be one of the um, original organizers. So we meet, um, with the five other students and we planned the march and I was able to speak at the march and do a bunch of interviews actually it's great to be back here I was here four years ago giving this interview All right. so it was nice being back oh, welcome um, back welcome back yeah and a few months after that the Florida survivors came to Utah and um, me and the team got to meet them and talk with them and host a press conference with them and so from there it's just been this is something that I think is really important and I feel like it's more of a responsibility than a choice to be involved. Ooh, that is very well said. That is very well said. I, I want to take the conversation you say, because you said, you said something that really jumped out at me. You know, Park Parkland, or you, what, what was it, 10 years ago, or 11 years ago now, that for one not the first, but a, a shooting happened. And, and here we are 11 years later, and we're still dealing with it. And, and, and it feels like for, I would say, for the average citizen sitting on this side of the fence, it feels like nothing has changed. So what what is the call to action? You know, not and not just for you know, one, I want to hear the call to action for other activists, but what do you want to see from our leaders, our respective our respected leaders on the hill, the people that we that we expect to make the responsible decision, expect to make the hard decisions, and here we are with them just every every time something senseless violence happens, all they can say is thoughts and prayers. Policies um, regulations um, increasing the age that one can have access to a gun assault weapons shouldn't be in circulation for the general public to get their hands on these mass shootings all of them can be attributed to one thing and that is the level of access that these perpetrators have to AR-15s and that is the common denominator thoughts and prayers are at its core, sentiment. They don't have substance when these events keep occurring. What we need to see is change in our laws. We need the people in power to take action on our behalf because while they debate, while they politicize, people are dying every day. As of right now, guns are actually the leading cause of death in America for children. 12 children every day statistically die from events of gun violence. And that is something in the context of our current state of affairs and our history, our recent last couple of days is something incredibly sobering to think about. Yeah, it is. I, you know, and I, what, what I love about what you just said is that when, when we ask politicians and they have no response and here we are. You're you're not a lawyer. 
you're you're not a politician and off the cuff you just hit me with four things that we can put in play right now and you know and I, and I I love hearing it because you know what bothers me one of the things that bothers me the most is one my I have two kids they sit in between the ages of of the fourth graders second and fifth but when when people scoff at the idea of you know having an age you know but but they don't scoff at it when when you four you three ladies go to rent a car and you can't because you're not 25 and they're like oh you know they easily will say well you're just not old enough and here we are to your point you know 18 year olds buying buying weapons that are just far far just outside of their full on capacity capacity to understand what they're capable of in my opinion so it's just it's just terrible so so here's my question for all three of you where where is the balance because it's not healthy to be in a constant state of per- perpetual fear but on the other hand it's compl- it's like being completely oblivious is not it's not you know it's not responsible either so what is the balance that that we should be taking you know and I'll I'll go to you L Yeah absolutely so I believe that the balance that we need to find is educating ourselves on um in fact I was actually I was reading an article by Michael Fannin who's a police officer and who's a um, gun owner and who actually sells guns and he said himself um, we I, I sell guns I have sold guns I've sold AR-15s to young people and I have pushed and I've asked why do you want this gun mm. what is your purpose in this gun and no one can actually give a clear answer and I think really educating ourselves on what these guns are actually for why these parents had to pick up pieces of their children, how they had to use other means to identify their children because there was almost nothing left of really evaluating, like really knowing what these guns are for because this is not protecting your right to hunt. You do not use an AR-15 to hunt. And I believe that it comes from really learning and taking that time to learn what is this gun for? What is the purpose of this gun? What does it serve the general public to have this gun be for people my age, for a 21 year old who has absolutely no knowledge of guns, who doesn't need a gun at all to be able to just go and buy a gun within 10 days and really educating on the difference between the right to carry, the right to own a gun and the right to have a gun that is made to just rip through people and to just rip through every part of the life and the soul that is left and to have to make kids be identified through horrible means what's your thoughts natalie i think that i think that's a great question but to me i think there's something a little more important that we need to talk about and i think it's what's the balance between um gun control restrictions and gun control freedom Uh, i think that's the real issue that we have to deal with because no one wants mass shootings right right. everyone agrees that these are bad and we all have to find a solution that we can all agree on so i think we're all scared and we're all concerned about this but i think the real question is how do we find a way that people can get behind some sort of gun control legislation um and every town recently did a study that showed that 80 percent of people regardless of political party support universal background checks Mm -hmm. this is a very simple thing that almost every other developed country in the world has um, and just that one small thing, if we could get it through our political system to say this is what the constituents want, that's going to solve a lot more problems. And there's so many other things that we can do um, that will 
limit what guns we can buy without letting people feel like they're having their rights taken away from them. I think that's a real balance, especially in a red state like Utah, that if we have any hope of engaging more people in this conversation, we need to talk about solutions that they can get behind. Go ahead, say. I mean, I agree with Natalie in that we want something that everyone can agree on because at the end of the day, what matters is the safety of the lives of others, of those children who are going to school every day to learn, to get an education. We shouldn't have to live in fear that the next drill isn't a drill, but is in fact another event or statistic that will end up on the news and have people like the three of us talking about again and again, five years down the line, 10 years down the line. We wanna create an environment where people, families, children can grow up safely. And to do that, we have to acknowledge that we need to find a compromise, but above all, we need to find a way to move forward. We cannot keep living in this circumstance because it is inherently harmful to those who cannot protect themselves. So true. All right, so this this just hot off the presses. Well, it's June third, but it's it's lukewarm off the presses, let's <laughs> say. But Salt Lake announces a gun buyback program. So what do you what do you think about that? So it looks like uh, Saturday, June eleventh, public safety building, hundred dollar gift card for assault style weapons, no identification needed and no questions asked. Do you think? Go ahead. Absolutely. Yeah. I um, I attend BYU. <laughs> okay. uh, I'm double majoring in political science and sociology. Okay. I've lived overseas. I know that gun buyback programs actually work. Um, you can see in Australia, New Zealand, New Zealand, Canada. Just recently, Canada, after seeing what happened in America, announced their own buyback mm -hmm. program. So I think this is a great idea. I mean, it, it hits that compromise where we're not taking guns away, we're trading them. So, and I mean, I agree with these ladies that no one needs an assault. Like, why would you need that? I do not understand that. And so I think this is a great idea. And if people get behind it, it just it's a win-win for everyone so i don't know why the federal government and state governments haven't already done this and that's a bigger question to answer but i don't know why it's so late yeah go ahead ellie absolutely and adding on to that and kind of taking what say said a little bit i think that it's really um because i i think that there's a lot you know we can we can go around in circles saying what you know what gun owners what conservatives need to do better but i also think it's also evaluating from from our legislators really read like evaluating why do when these horrible events happen people clutch their guns closer to themselves instead of and i think that part of it is there's until very recently there haven't been these buyback um programs and such and i think it's i think what say was saying is we need to act now a lot of these legislate these legislators they are not acting and they are taking their time. There's um, the Charleston loophole is finally being closed. Mm -hmm. That's been in existence since 2015. For listeners who I was just gonna ask, yeah. <laughs> give it to us, Ellie. For listeners who don't know, the Charleston loophole is a loophole from in which um, it typically takes it should take 10 days for a background check, but the loophole allows people to get guns three days after they've submitted it, and that was the Charleston church shooting in 2015, mm -hmm. that is the exact way that that man was able to get a gun was through that loophole. And it is 
2022 and it's something is finally being done about it which is yes absolutely it is good that that loophole is being closed but it has taken seven years to do something about that and whereas in texas right now um after one drag show there's been legislation to protect children from drag and it things like that show that legislators can be moving fast they are choosing not to and that is why that is one of the biggest reasons of this protest of this march is to tell our legislature legislators we know you can move faster than this please do and you are listening to the tuesday edition of roundtable tuesday radioactive i'm rashawn leak and we have Ellie Otis, Say Kamtkar, and Natalie Reese talking about gun safety and just what we could be doing as a as a society to kind of get ahead of this. But but Ellie, you brought up you brought up the march. So so let's let's talk about the march. What are what are you hoping for? What are we what are we hoping to get out of the march at the Capitol? So since since you brought it up, I'll I'll stay with you for a hot second. Absolutely. So. As I just said, we're definitely trying to get the message straight to legislator, legislators. I cannot say that word today. My apologies. It's a hard word. It's, it's not an easy one. <laughs> um, we're really trying to get them uh, to move faster, to move faster on this subject. Um, and we're also partnering with uh, the Gun Violence Prevention uh, Utah chapter in order to really um, – they're going to be at the, at the march um, at a booth where we're really trying to encourage uh, constituents to – put down their comments and they will all you have to do is write your comment write your information your name and they will send it to legislatures um, in order to get things done and to get things moving and that's our our active priority is to really light a fire under under the people who are supposed to be representing the 80 percent of the population who is calling for more gun control it's so true and it it, I, i love that you called that out because it does it does feel like this is purposefully being done, and, you know, and, and dragging, dragging their feet towards this. So, what else is going on in the march? So, what time is the march? Where's the march at? Go ahead, say. All right. So, Saturday, June eleventh. That's upcoming this week, and we're starting at twelve thirty p.m. at West High School, marching to the Utah State Capitol building. The march will be from twelve thirty to three. We are hoping for turnout <laughs> above all else. I believe that regardless of whether or not you feel like you personally have a stake in doing something or whether you can do something, we want to see you there. Your presence is necessary and needed to show support for this cause. And beyond that, we'll also have, as Ellie mentioned, we'll have the gun violence prevention chapter in Utah tabling for constituent comments as well as voter registration. So we will have means in place for people to start taking collective action beyond just physically being there. But as of right now, if you are planning on it or if you aren't planning on it, we still hope to see you there on Saturday. All right, go ahead, Natalie. Yeah, I, this is something I really like about March for Our Lives. And like I said, I've been working with this organization for the past five years. And um, something that was really stressed upon us when we were creating the march in 2018 was a movement is completely useless unless there's legislation behind it. So unless there is something that you're pushing for, you're just a bunch of angry people walking around. And so a really key part of this march and the continued movement of March for Our Lives is pushing for those things, such as universal background checks, these common sense gun legislations that the majority of constituents support. Um, another really important part of March for Our Lives is they're really focused on youth turnout um, and getting youth to vote because we are the ones that are most affected by this issue. And so when we come out and vote, 
we have the power to change that. Um, they did a study, March Paralyzed did a study a little bit ago that said after they had helped register so many young people to vote in every stop they made around the country, um, there was a 47% increase in youth voting turnout. Mm. And so these registration for voting polls, they all work. And so that's a big part. If you can't come to the march, we at least hope you'll vote for someone who will support gun control and will at least protect us. Nice. Uh, so I, I had this question. We were talking before you before you ladies got here, and this one jumped out at us. Uh, so as as young adults, what are some of the things that are pissing you off in the country right now? Ooh. <laughs> Pointing at me. Yeah, and now I'm pointing back. Oh, yeah. Okay. But <laughs> like, yeah, but no, say yeah, Mike's um, sure is hot. Mike's still hot now. Yeah. yeah, I think this is a really big one because I don't want to get shot and I don't know if that needs to be said, but this has been something that has been dealt with for so long. And as someone who moved to this country and they were 10, I'm an American, I didn't grow up here. I don't understand it. I've seen so many other countries and I studied countries in university and I don't know I mean, I know why it doesn't work, but I just can't fathom how we as a country can't figure this out when there's so many. But I think that what bothers me most is that our politicians are putting money before us. And there that's the real root of the yeah, issue. Yeah, there it is. You got to the root cause. Go ahead, say. I was just going to say that this is an issue that all three of us have grown up with. I grew up, you grew up going to schools with this threat looming over us. I have a younger sibling. I worry about them. And in the future, or relevant to people my age now in this community who have children or who are starting to family plan, this is something that they have to worry about too. This has been consistent throughout our entire lives. And we're growing up, we're learning more about the world, but it doesn't seem like the world is changing much when it comes to this, because these issues are still incredibly prevalent. These tragedies are still so at their core preventable avoidable and all we can offer is what another another radio station interview to talk about why how bad it is ellie what's pissing you off i'm very pissed off at the thoughts and prayers template because um these politicians it really at this point there have been as of yesterday so it's probably increased potentially there's been 246 mass shootings in the year 2022 which is obviously more days than there have been this year and the amount of thoughts and prayer templates that have that politicians have been sending for years and years and years and like natalie said it is simply money you can stop letting the nra lobby to you you can be doing so much more than thoughts and prayers and you are choosing you are absolutely choosing to put money and profit above the lives of not only american people but of children of babies who deserve to be protected who deserve to just who who deserve to see adulthood who deserve to be able to not have to practice hiding under a desk for fear of a shooter they deserve to have a life and have a good life and our politicians need to begin to actually ensure that for every figurehead's thoughts and prayers, let's take a look at their d- donation percentages Seriously. from the NRA. Absolutely. Because that's a very telling factor. Mm. No matter what they say, there's always something to back that that is relevant to how much action has not been taken thus far. Definitely. And I just say that we're the thoughts and prayers that they've been asking for this whole time. Um, I mean, we came out in 2018 and we'll come out again on Saturday. 
And if they don't do what we want them to, then we can vote them out. Like, every kid that grew up, was born in 1999 during colorblind, is now old enough to vote. And so they sh- the politicians should be really afraid that the youth who have lived through these school shootings and this constant fear are really upset now. And we can vote, and we're not afraid to vote them out. Powerful, powerful. Thank you so much, ladies, for for blessing us with your voices, blessing us with your stories. Where can people find more about March for Our Lives? Absolutely. So we have, I'm going to pull out my phone so I don't say the wrong information. (laughs) Yeah, so we have um, the March for Our Lives, uh, just the organization all over uh, the country. It's just marchforourlives.org. And then we also have a March for Our Lives SLC, a March for Our Lives Utah. You can find us on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. Um, just reaching out and we will get back to you immediately. Please reach out to us with questions you may have. Even if you don't think that you know anything about gun prevention, please ask us questions. We are more than happy to, to answer them, to point you in the direction of resources. We are here to amplify the voices of the people who need to be heard. Man, that's so powerful. That's so powerful. And just remember, you all can, everyone listening can join in up at the Capitol, start at West and head to the Capitol this Saturday. But like they pointed out, 1999 was Columbine, close to 30 years ago. And these, and and this is still happening. It's, you know, if there's anything we have learned, no action is not enough. Doing Doing nothing is not going to give us not going to give us the reprieve that we're looking for. It's time that we all step up to the plate. This is Rasham with Radioactive. Take care. KRCL, Salt Lake City. Looking to upgrade your vehicle soon? Consider donating your car to KRCL. Our vehicle donation partner will give you a tow and a tax receipt and cut KRCL a check. Find details about donating your car to KRCL at the support tab at krcl.org. No!